0: Good morning. Wow, it's really cool to take the stage here. Like, so cool to be home um, here. So we just love it. Uh, I've been battling like a cough cold thing I got it RDNA because, I don't know, it was a hard week. But um, so I have like throat tea and water and like cough drops. So Britt said, just, it's different. Like, it's just home. Just be, just take your time. You can preach for two hours if you want. Um... <laughs> They, they love it there, so I'm like, cool, I can bring it, like, they're going to bring lunch out in a second, and, uh, so that'll be really fun, <clears throat> so, yeah. Okay, so, um, so, single, how many, I heard a lot of single people yelling a second ago, a lot of single people here? Yeah, several, married, two? Yeah, married, cool. Um, my wife and I just got back from marriage retreat on Friday and Saturday night, and it was just so, so amazing, um. But here's the thing about, about marriage and family. Uh, and this is something, I think Britt shared this too, about Daisy and wh- how they decided on, like, God give us another kid, is your family's not yours. Um, when you have a family, you bring that family into the family of God. And if you're married in here, your family's not just yours. They're single people that you should be calling into your family. And this is the only way that, that singleness... As a, as, an, as a gift, as an option in the church works is when families in the church go, you come in and you're part of our family. That's how it, o- that's the only way it works. If you're married in here and we're going to truly love the, the LGBTQ community, the only way we can do that faithfully as a church is like, our family is now your family and welcome into my family, come into my family. And so, if we think we're married, we have nothing to do with singleness anymore. We have nothing to do. No, that's actually it's the it's the issue I think in the church right now. It's like, how do you live faithfully as a single person in the church? And families, if you're married in here, and you have a family. You guys are the key, I believe. You're the key to this. And so, we're gonna look at First Corinthians chapter seven, and I'm gonna read some. I'm gonna read uh, part of it, throw in a, a couple of comments um, as we're going through this. I'm gonna read. Verses 1 through 9, I'm going to jump to verse 25, and I'll read down to verse 35, and I might make a couple, a few comments along the way, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into this. The, the sermon today is entitled, Reimagining Singleness, Reimagining Singleness. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul writing to the church in Corinth. This is the second letter he wrote. We don't have the first letter, um, so 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians is actually 3 Corinthians, but I don't want to confuse you, um, we're, and we're only getting half of the conversation. Like, if you ever, like, have you ever listened to someone talk on one half of a cell phone and you're just next to them and they're talking, and you don't hear what the other person's saying, but you only hear their reaction? That's what we're getting here. We're getting one half of the conversation. The church in Corinth wrote Paul a letter. Paul wrote one back. They wrote one back to him. This is now the letter back to them. And so he's answering a lot of questions that are going on in a church in Corinth that he planted, kind of like Brett and G planted this church, and... I went with the team to plant San, San Francisco. It was like if I left and I was writing to the church going, okay, I heard this is going on. I heard this is going on. I want to correct this. I want to change this. That's 1 Corinthians. And Corinth was a town that was very liberal. Corinth was like San Francisco. A port city, very liberal. A lot of sexuality uh, happening. And there was even something going on in the church with, with regards to married couples. They thought, they had single people that were like, we can sleep with whoever we want to. And Paul was like, no, you can't. Your body's not your own. You're bought with with, with the blood of Christ. You don't, you're, you're temple of the Holy Spirit. But there were some married people that were saying, listen, Paul, no, no, we're so holy that my wife and I don't have sex anymore. That's how holy we are. Paul's like, you're not holy, you're stupid. Um, <laughs> stop doing that. You actually need to have sex as a married couple. And so what he does, is he says, okay, so flee pornea, flee sexual immorality, have sex if you're married, and if you're single, it, it just depends on whether you should be married or not. And so this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Read with me, not out loud, in your head, or follow along. (laughs) Now, for the matters you wrote about, see, that's a letter he's writing about. He goes, I want to talk to you about some some things you wrote wrote to me about. And this is a quote. This is meaning it's taken from their letter that they wrote to him. It's not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. That's what they said to Paul. Paul said, but since sexual immorality, the word there is pornea, since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife. And each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. This was very common. The husband owns the wife's body, but very countercultural. Paul says this next. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sex. Speaking of married couples... Except perhaps, perhaps, maybe, he says, maybe, if, if you want to get super spiritual, by mutual consent for a time. So that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan, he brings Satan into the argument. If you don't have sex, Satan gets between you and your marital bed. So Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you, speaking of marriage, not of having sex, a marriage... I say all this marriage stuff as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. Each, one has this gift, another has that. Paul's saying, I wish you were all like me, single. Like marriage, I say this as a concession. Like if you're married, you're married. If you're, he's about to get into if you're engaged in a second. But he's basically saying, I wish you were all single like me. Verse 8. Now to the unmarried, to the single people, to the widows, those that were married but your spouse died, I say this. It is for good. It is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. Paul's unmarried. But if they cannot control themselves, this is the verse. This is the only verse we know in this chapter, by the way. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is the only verse single people know. It's like, listen, I'm burning. <laughs> I need a spouse. I'm burning with passion. It's better that I marry. Now skip down to verse um, 35 or 25. Sorry. Verse 25, now about virgins. He talks a little bit about married couples and status change, but then he gets to verse 25, talking about uh, single people again. Now about virgins, people who are not married. I have no command from the Lord. That's very interesting. But I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Are you engaged? Are you, are you engaged? Then don't, don't be released. Are you, are you free from engagement? Don't look at, for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. If an, if vir, and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And everyone married said, yes, amen. <laughs> and I want to spare you of this, single people. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, this is one of the most confusing passages of Scripture. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world and its present form is passing away. Verse 32, I would like you all to be free from concern. That's the point of all of Paul's saying. I don't want you to have anxiety. That probably plagues single people the most is anxiety. I want you to be free from anxiety. but that you may live in a right way in an undivided devotion to the Lord. This is God's word. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this church and all that this church is doing and has done. Um, Just even praying for that couple going to Ethiopia, sending missionaries all over the world, planting churches. God, I thank you for this church and the faithfulness they have been to you and your word and your great commission. And I pray blessings on this church, God. I pray you would grow this truth in, in health, and God, you continue to allow the gospel to shine like a city on a hill from the town of Carpinteria. I thank you for your word and its sufficiency for us, for married or single or debating whether we should be married or not, or should I find a spouse or not, or maybe anxiety fills our heart right now as, our, as we get older and still there's no prospects of being married. God, I pray that our sufficiency is found in Christ and Christ alone married or single, it does not matter. May our hope be found in you. May you teach us this morning by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. To to follow Jesus, uh, to be baptized in Christ, means that you have a new identity. And the base of that identity is the love of God, being the beloved of God. The love of God was shown to us in Jesus Christ, in his life of service, his sacrificial death of substitution, his triumphant resurrection, his victory over sin and death. Not only victory over sin and death, but victory over our sin and our death. Jesus conquered that on the cross, and he rose again to give us new life. And the reason why I start by saying that, the reason why I say that is, and even starting a sermon on singleness, why I say we have a new identity in Christ, is because this new identity that we have in Christ, the new identity that we have as followers of Jesus, what it calls us into is a new understanding of our relationship of all of life as we know it. Our relationship with Christ, being being in Christ, now causes us to rethink all of life. We have a new understanding of all of life as we know it. A new identity, as it says, means we have to reimagine life in all of its forms. To have a new identity in Christ means you have to reimagine life in every single aspect. That means we have to reimagine what it means to be human. We have to reimagine what it means to be male and what it means to be female, what it means to be sexual, what it means to be rich, If you're rich and you start following Christ, you have to reimagine what it means for you to be rich. If you're poor, you have to reimagine what it means for you to be poor. If you're happy, and you have this great life, you have to reimagine the way that you seek happiness. And if you're sad and you're heavy laden with all these burdens, you have to reimagine the way that you're sad. If you're a slave, when Paul writes to slaves, he says, slaves, I want you to reimagine your slavery. You're not a slave, you're free in Christ. But to the free people, he goes, I want you to reimagine the way you're free. You're no longer free, you're slaves of Christ. Paul says, I want you to reimagine everything. Stop thinking with the old way of thinking. You have a new way of thinking because you're a new creation. If you're married, you have to reimagine what it means to be married. If you're single, you have to reimagine what it means to be single. And the list goes on. Our whole lives are to be reordered by Jesus. Who we are, or better stated, who we were is reordered and reimagined now in our new life in Christ. And what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, and what 1 Corinthians 7 is all about is Paul is causing this church to reimagine marriage. He says, I want you to reimagine the way that you're married now that you're in Christ. And he says, I want you to reimagine divorce, and I want you to reimagine celibacy, and I want you to reimagine singleness in light of your new existence as followers of Jesus. Corinth was a, 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 a church planet of pri- primarily Gentiles. And he goes, I want you to reimagine the way you see sex. I want you to reimagine the way that you even are sexual creatures. I want you to reimagine life in all of its forms. See, as followers of Jesus, we have a a new family. You and I are brought and adopted into a brand new family as followers of Christ. And our old family, our our, our family that we grew up up and had their own standards of success. Some of us grew up in families where a, a traditional view of success might mean marrying the right person. And so everything, your whole life, came down to you marrying the right person. That was success. And if you married the right person, you were successful in your parents' eyes. And if you're single in here, this is why every time you talk on the phone, they ask you if you've met someone yet. Have you met someone yet? Are you dating someone? Who is he? I want to meet him. Or I want to meet her. Or maybe your idea of success in your family was a college degree. Getting an education was your idea, the, your family's idea of success, or a successful career, or having a big, giant family, of having kids. And so they ask you, when are you having kids? When are you giving us grandbabies? but in the family of God, success means something different entirely. And it's culture shock to become a Christian to some extent. And the reason why it's culture shock, because you have to see all of life differently. We have to see marriage and singleness and success differently. We have to have a whole new framework. See, this is our framework for our cultural understanding of marriage. Our society marries for love and attraction and happiness. Our our, our modern mindset is we marry for love, attraction, and happiness. We cannot imagine marrying someone if we were not in love with them. Has anyone ever seen the movie Titanic? In the movie Titanic, this girl named Rose boards the Titanic with a guy she's engaged to named Cal. And Cal's this rich guy. And Rose comes from a family of money, but they ran out of money. And so her and her mom boards, and he, she's engaged to Cal. And Cal's a jerk. Everyone hates Cal in the movie, and you're watching this movie, and there's not a single person who watches this movie who is rooting for the Rose-Cal storyline. No one's watching this going, oh, I hope Rose ends up with Cal. I just want her to marry him because he's stable. He will give her a life. He will give her, he'll take care of the family. You don't marry for family. You don't marry for money. You don't mar- Our storyline is marry for love, and so we meet another character in there, Jack. Jack is the poor, young Leonardo Leonardo DiCaprio. And everyone's going for the Rose-Jack storyline. Because Jack will never let go. (laughs) Jack will always be there. Jack, that's love. And we go, okay, that's not... you, You need to marry Jack. Everyone, every... The reason why this movie was one of the biggest movies of all time, and it wasn't just a movie about a giant boat that sank, was because it played into our modern idea of love. It's like that's love. What Jack and Rose have is love. What Jack, what Cal and Rose have is not love. That's obligation. No one marries for obligation. But did you know that most uh, uh, marriages in here happened out of obligation? Most marriages here were arranged. Most marriages found in Scripture were not necessarily for love. They were like, "I want you to go here. I want you to find a wife out of this tribe. I want you to marry to keep the bloodline." It was about family. It wasn't about love. But our our modern, not not to say that's the best view of marriage, but we've taken the opposite approach where we marry only for love. It doesn't matter about anything else. All that matters is, am I in love? We marry for love. We also marry for attraction, which actually falls under the category of love. We call this love at first sight. We can't imagine being in love with someone that we're not attracted to. And I'm not talking about compatibility. I'm talking about physicality. I can't tell you how many people I meet that goes, I just can't be with this person. They just, they don't do it for me physically. There are people who go to this church. There are people that go to church in on the coastline that you know, that you wouldn't even give a chance to see if you're compatible with them because you are too hung up with looks. And she would never even give them a chance. This is how our culture dates. This should not be how our church dates. No single people are saying amen. I know, I get it. <laughs> I'm messing with your world right now. I get it. But is it, isn't it odd that the traction that you're basing a lot of your decision on is this two-year window, and you have no idea how that person's going to age? I'm not trying to make you more anxious. You're like, oh, no, I didn't even think of that. Like, you have no idea. They might be beautiful now, but how do you know they're going to age that way? I'm not trying to I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying, we based everything on looks, and not just look, but like a two-window of opportunity look. I was attracted to you from 84 to 86. That's why I married you. That's just, this is how we date. This is how we marry for happiness. We marry for attraction. We marry for compatibility and love, and we call all of this happiness. I'm happy when all these things come together. When I'm in love with them, and I'm attracted to them, and we're compatible, we call this happiness. Now, there are some holes in this, and we should see them. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That's in the church and outside the church. And why do they divorce? This is why people divorce. We are not in love anymore. We were not attracted to each other anymore. We're not happy anymore. If you're single in here and you're looking for love and attraction and happiness, maybe you should call the whole system into question. And as a follower of Christ, reading 1 Corinthians 7, you must call the whole system in question. But on the other hand, we live in a world where there are more single people than ever, especially in, in a city where I live, and everyone is single. We put our careers, and the reason why most of the people in my church are single, why there's a ton of single people in Carpinteria and in the coastlands, is we put our careers and ourselves before the sacrifice of marriage. A lot of us are smart enough to realize that, that marriage is a sacrifice, and because marriage is a sacrifice, we know, we, well, well, I, can't, I can't make that sacrifice right now. i got to go after my career. I have to go after myself. It's way easier to use a condom and sleep around and not be tied down when you're upwardly, upwardly mobile in your career. Marriage is too much of a sacrifice in my life right now. This is how a lot of single people think today. But maybe since we're calling everything into question, we should call our reason for singleness into question as well. If you choose to be single... And as a follower of Jesus, you must. And this is what Paul does in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. He calls into question marriage and engagement and singleness. He calls it all into question. But what's fascinating about this passage of Scripture is that Paul says it's not a command from the Lord. Did you notice that? He said, okay, I'm going to write you something. Is This not a command. And you're like, wait, what does it mean, not a command? Does this mean this is not Bible? Does this mean this is not inspired? No, this is Bible. This is inspired. What Paul is saying is, it's like, I want you to treat this chapter like the book of Proverbs, where it's wisdom. And the right thing to do depends on the situation, and that's why you need wisdom. He says, I don't have a command. I'm not going to say, you better not get married, and you better get married. He goes, I don't know. This is just godly counsel. It's good if you stay married. It's good if you stay single. It's good if you marry. It's all good. But I want to give you my godly counsel. And so Paul says this. And in verse 25, he says, "Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord." Meaning, I just want to give you advice. But I have a judgment. I have advice. I have counsel, as who, as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I'm a trustworthy pastor. I love you, Corinth. I love you, Carpentaria. Let me give you some wise, godly counsel when it comes to singleness. If you're single in here, I don't. I don't have a command for you. Like if you're thinking, what does the Bible say about dating? It doesn't. And Paul even says here, there is no commandment about it. But in chapter 6 and 7, there are some commandments. Don't say, oh, there's no commandments. I can do what I want to. No, here are the commandments right here. Here are the commandments. Flee pornea. So if you're single in here, or even if you're married, flee pornea, Flee sexual immorality. That's, that's anything outside of Genesis 2, 24 and 25. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And they are both naked and not ashamed. Anything outside of man, woman, in the covenant of marriage, anything else, having sex in the covenant of marriage, anything outside of that is pornea. Flee it. Next, the command, Paul says, single, uh, married people, have sex. That's a command. Men, use that. This is a command. Honey, listen. Command from God. It is. Paul says, this is a command. You can't do this. It's it's reenacting the covenant. It's the couple's Eucharist. It's like communion on Sunday. It reenacts what happened. What happened? Christ died. His body broken. His blood poured out. And I take that in. What happens during sex? It's, it's a, sex is a microcosm, what happens in marriage. It's two people coming together as one. One mind, one body, one flesh. I don't mean to get creepy. You guys talked about marriage. Anyways, I'll move on. The next command is no divorce. This is what Paul hits on in, in chapter six and seven. Here are the commands, just so you're clear no pornea, have sex if you're married, no divorce. But here are, here's the counsel his counsel is on dating, engagement, and singleness. I want to give you wise, godly counsel as someone who's dating, as we call it in our world today, or courting, or whatever you want to call it, or engagement if you're engaged, and singleness. The point here is that Paul doesn't want to come to any moral conclusions on whether to marry or stay single. Paul says, listen, it's not immoral if you're single, and it's not immoral if you get married, and it's not immoral if you're engaged. But it's not moral either. It just depends. He's already dealt with the moral stuff. Now he's giving you counsel. And here's the point of Paul's counsel. The point of counsel is to keep the church from anxiety, Some of you, single people, need to write this down. The whole point of this chapter is I want to keep you from anxiety. There are people that are so, and and, and I know in my church, so I know that that they're here, so welled up with anxiety. Like, okay, I'm pushing high 20s. I'm not married yet. There's no prospect. I'm settling my job. I went after my career. I have my degree. I, I feel I'm so anxious. I need to find someone. Paul's like, I want you to chill. I want to free you from anxiety here. And this is how Paul does it. How does he do it? He says, because of the present crisis verse 26 because of the present crisis i think that it is good for a man to remain as he is now what is present crisis nobody knows honestly no one knows is it a, some people think it's a famine There was a huge famine going on in corinth that was a present crisis so it's better to stay how you are if you get married you have to, more mouths to feed and there's a famine other people think it was persecution against the church and others think it was the end of days rapture type talk no one really knows but because of the present crisis, Paul says, are you engaged? Stay engaged. Are you single? Don't look for a spouse. But if you do get married or you do get engaged, you have not sinned. But listen, this is what Paul says. I'm not going to lie. He says, those who face who will marry will face many troubles in this life. I love how honest that is. See, there's already a present crisis going on. And Paul says, I don't, you don't need to add to the present crisis. You already have crisis in your life. Why are you going to get married and add to m- uh, more crisis on your life? Now, many scholars and commentators believe that because of this, Paul was married at a certain time. And he was married. And he's like, I've been married. I've done that. I've seen fire. I've seen rain. Don't get married. <laughs> like, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it all. I've been there. Don't." Now, we don't know if Paul was married or not. But this is strange to me. The reason why it's strange Because you guys are in the book of Ephesians. And you get to Ephesians 5, Paul treats marriage like the closest thing we have to our relationship with Jesus. Paul can't talk about marriage without talking about who we are as the bride of Christ. And he starts talking about marriage and breaks out in worship. So strange that here he's saying, guys, just remain single, it's way better. Then Ephesians he's writing, he's like, I want to talk about the church. No, I can't just talk about, I want to talk about marriage. I can't just talk about the marriage. I can talk about Jesus and the bride. And oh my gosh, these things are so, who can grasp these things? But I'm talking about Jesus and the church. He he talks about marriage and he breaks out in worship because marriage is so great. Now, what does all this mean? All this means is that Paul is affirming the single life. It is great to be married. It is glorious. It's a beautiful thing. It's a picture of Jesus and the church. But Paul says, I affirm the single life. And not just the single life, but the single celibate life as well. And this is completely countercultural. Marriage and family, in the time that Paul was writing to Corinth, marriage and family meant a future. Marriage and family meant an identity. If you were not married, you didn't have a family. If you were not married, you had no, no stable future. If you were not married, you didn't, you didn't even know who you were. In Judaism, where Paul came from, marriage and family were a command of God and the way the blessings of God came into your life. When you were married, that's when the blessings of God came into your life. And it was a command to be married. Here is a quote from the New Encyclopedia of Judaism. Under celibacy, it reads this. No joke. It reads this. Marriage is a commandment in Jewish tradition and celibacy is deplored. Marriage is a commandment. So Paul was coming from a tradition where you had to be married. If you were not married, blessings weren't coming in your life. If you were not married, you didn't have an identity. And so Paul is writing challenging this. Singleness as a way of life and the way of following God is somewhat distinctive to New Testament Christianity. If you're single in here and you're like, hey, I'm single, it's okay. You you have Christianity to thank for that. Because that was not the case when Paul was writing this. That was not the case when Jesus was walking the earth. Marriage was everything. But Paul is saying here, no, singleness is actually a great way to live. It's actually, I, I think, I commend you to be single. But Jesus started all this. He said this, and I think this is like one of the key texts when we're talking about single living. And if you're, if you're single in here and you're older single and you're older, and I won't even say what older is because I don't want to offend anybody in here, 130, let's say, you're old. And 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 you're like, I'm single, and God's not calling me to have a celibate life, and I just don't know what to do. Or you're single in here, and it's because you haven't been attracted to the opposite sex, and you're abiding in the way of Christ, and you're single, and you're like, I feel like my life's miserable. What does Jesus have to say about it? He does say something about it, but it's couched in a very mysterious sort of parable. An example, and it's found in Matthew chapter 19. And Jesus says this. Jesus replied to the people asking about marriage. He said, not everyone can accept this word that he's about to say, but only those to whom it has been given. And then he used eunuchs as an example. And I'll tell you what those are in a second if you don't already know. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is a beautiful, comforting word. Eunuchs... Keep that scripture up for a second. Eunuchs were castrated men who went into the service of a master. And they gave up their entire possibility of a future because they gave up their entire possibility of a family. And so what they were doing, they were tying their future to their master. It's quite profound. Eunuchs are saying, I can never have a family. I can never be a part of a family. And so I, cannot, I don't have an identity anymore. Because remember... Your identity was wrapped up in your family. And I'm tying myself to you. So if you succeed, I succeed. If you get captured and taken, I get, like, I'm tying everything to you. And so Jesus says there are eunuchs. And he says the first two categories listed there are eunuchs, Jesus' names, are eunuchs or single. Jesus uses, uses this example of eunuchs to talk about single people, which is an extreme example, I know. But I think it fits. It seems kind of harsh, but I think what Jesus is saying is profound. He says the first two categories of single people or eunuchs are single involuntarily. You are single, but it's not your fault. And he recognizes that. And the last category, the third category of eunuchs or single people are single voluntarily. Jesus says of the first category, he says, there are people who will not get married because of the way... They were born. This is a a harsh reality. This is because of the way that someone was born, it makes marriage impossible or inadvisable. Jesus says there's people that are born eunuchs and they had no control over it. But Jesus recognizes them and knows them, and there's grace for that person. The grace of Christ is sufficient for the person who is born and they cannot get married. And there are many people in our society this way because of some sort of physical ailment, some sort of, of, of the way that they were just born, they can't be married. And this goes into many different applications. And then Jesus says the second category, those who are single because of others. You were made a eunuch. It was out of your control, but it's probably because, and if we were taking apply today, it's probably because of a lack of an available marriage partner there is something that is just not available to you and you're not married right now. And the third, and this is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 7, are those who stay single voluntarily for the sake of serving the king and the kingdom. There are people who are, who are single and saying, I'm, I wanna be single. There are some who won't be married because, in here because you can't get married. That might be hard to accept. Jesus doesn't lie to you. He was a single man his whole life. He was the greatest, wisest, most fully human person who has ever lived and never married. But he acknowledges that this is difficult to accept. I think one of the harshest parts of not being married is that most of the church looks at you like you're not a complete human. And once you get married, you are a complete human. And they go, it's not good for you to be alone. Oh, yay, it's good for you. Now now you're complete because you have your other half. Jesus was single. You have to remember that. There are some in here who are not married because of a lack of someone who will marry you or maybe an available marriage partner, and Jesus acknowledges that as well. well. And there are some of you remaining single for the sake of the kingdom of God, and that is better than marriage. Now, how can all of this be good, right, and true? What Paul says in in the middle of 1 Corinthians 7 is the key, I think. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29 again with me. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 29. He says this. This is the key, I think, that unlocks all of it. And this is the point of what Paul is getting at. He says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, this is what I mean by all of this, all the singleness and engagement, and you're married, you're not married. You're, this is what I mean. The time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Have you ever read that verse and you're like, what do I do with that verse? You're doing your devotionals. Honey, I read this verse today. So I'm going to pretty much watch sports all day today and not do what you told me to do. I'm going to live like a bachelor today. Scripture, you know, whatever. Those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for the world in its present form is passing away. What is Paul's whole, whole point? And here it is, and you should write this down somewhere, or circle it in your Bible, as if not. As if not, I think this is the paradigm shift for us. Paul is saying, Paul is not discouraging buying and selling. Paul is not discouraging marriage. Paul is not discouraging mourning or being happy. As Christians who live in this world, we are expected to do such things. Paul encourages us to do such things. But as followers of Jesus, we do not buy to possess. Listen. As a follower of Jesus, you do not buy to possess. You do not buy to possess a life. We marry, but we do not marry to find an identity. We mourn, but we do not mourn like those without hope. We are happy, but not as if the... We are not people who live for the pursuit of happiness. We are single, but not as people who are single with no family. All because the kingdom of God has broken in and it changes everything. The Christian still buys and marries, but he or she does so as if not. I marry, but as if not to gain an identity from it. I'm single, but as if not, like I don't have a family. I'm part of the family of Christ. So I'm not really single in that sense. I buy, but I don't, I I buy as if not to purchase an identity for myself. Your whole paradigm shifts, and you're detached from this. I'm married, but it's not, marriage isn't everything for me. Christ is. I do these things as if they do not determine my existence. Christ determines my existence, and thus I am freed from all anxiety. That's the whole point of Paul. I want to free you from anxiety here. A lot of you are anxious. If you're single, marriage is not the end-all, be-all of Christianity, If you're married, your marriage is not the end-all be-all of Christianity. Christ is. And if you buy, you don't buy to purchase Christ because Christ already purchased you. And if you are happy, you're not happy as those people who are living for happiness because Christ is our happiness. If you mourn, you don't mourn as if you have no hope because Christ is your hope. You now have a new identity where Christ pours that in so deep into your life that determines everything now. So be free from all anxiety. Do you see how that works? That's the paradigm for single people to free you. I think, I, I think that there has, been a, there has been something in the talk of Christianity where it's all about being married and having kids as if that was the end-all be-all. That is, that is great for some people, but not for everyone. That is not the, the apex of Christianity. The apex of Christianity is Christ. The pinnacle of Christianity is Jesus and following Christ. So if you're single in here and you feel incomplete as a human because you are not married, Christ makes you complete, not a spouse. And if you're married in here going, my spouse completes me, that's a lie. Christ completes you. And thank God for your spouse. I heard one pastor says, if I put all my hope in my spouse and one day I have to do their funeral, I'm not going to bury my hope. My hope. Is in the Lord That's hard To to reimagine But that's reimagining life in all of its forms That's reimagining singleness Now there's single people that are plagued with this That don't feel like they're a complete human Now I want to help married couples mentor single couples in here So I want to help you So if you're married you should write these down So you do not say them If you're single in here you've probably heard these a million times And so I want to like Like say okay this is kind of not true Okay So married people, maybe write these down so you don't say them um, anymore, maybe. Uh, And if you're single, if you heard these, I'm sorry. This is is what single people say to themselves or well-intending people say to them. and I don't think they're very helpful. This is the first thing they say. As soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone into your life. Okay, if you said that to a single person, you're like, I'm so single and I'm like... Like, you know what you need to do? You need to find satisfaction in God alone, because as soon as you find satisfaction in God alone, God will bring someone, and then you share your testimony. It's like, I was really lonely, and then I found my satisfaction in Christ, and the next day I met Susie. The next day. It was awesome. And single people hear that, and I'm like, I just need to be satisfied in God alone. You know what? Okay, this, 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 you say this as if everyone married is satisfied with God alone. Married people, are you, are, are, are you, I mean... Every person that gets married is not satisfied with God alone. They're learning how to do that. This is also, you say this, as if God's blessings are earned by your contentment. Marriage is a gift, meaning it's unmerited. Is there character things that God wants to bring you through? Absolutely. But marriage isn't something you earn. you don't like, okay, I'm content. I'm content enough. Now God brings someone into my life. Or as if it was some reward, God throwing you a bone like, hey, you were content enough for me. Good job. That is not what marriage is. If most married couples look back like, no, I, I, I thought I was content in the Lord until, until God brought me marriage. And then I had to realize there was a deeper level of contentment in marriage. Marriage is a gift. The other thing people, that, that married couples say to single people are, before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. As though everyone married was made wonderful by Christ first. <laughs> like they're basically saying, I'm wonderful. And when I, I was made wonderful, and then I found my spouse. That, that's not true. Like even in your own life, you're like, wait, wait. So you're saying you were wonderful when you met Ashley. I'm like, no, come to think of it. No, I was not wonderful. <laughs> so you were wonderful when you got engaged, to Ashley. No, I actually am not. I was not wonderful. I'm being made that way. And this, we say this as though God grants marriage to only those who are satisfied. I, I want to break you from something. Are you Should you be satisfied with Christ alone? Absolutely. Is that the goal? Yes. But marriage is not a reward for you being satisfied in Christ alone. It's not a merit thing. It's not like once I'm satisfied and once I'm wonderful and once I'm perfect, then God brings someone into my life. That's not the case. The hope is not. We, oh, we think this way when the hope and the goal is only marriage. When our hope and goal is, I'm on this path of being sanctified and being made holy in Christ alone. When I see that as the goal, God might one day bring someone along. And it won't be because, because I'm wonderful. And it won't be because I'm only satisfied in Him. I don't, there's many reasons why God brings people into other people's lives. And I think if we went around and shared every married couple's story, the answers are all different. Christ, in Christ's wisdom, he brings people in our life, and I can't explain it. Underneath these statements is this understanding that you are not yet fully formed as a human. That's all they're, they're really saying. It's like, I'm not married yet. Well, you're not really fully formed as a human yet. And once you fully f- get formed as a human who's satisfied in God alone and who's wonderful, then you can be married. And they say this as if marriage is the highest goal of human existence. It's not. Christ is. And so we can say this, God is making you wonderful, but he's also making me wonderful, and I'm married. And Christ is making you satisfied in him alone, just like Christ is making me satisfied in him alone, and I'm married with kids. And there's different ways that God's doing in my life, and there's different ways that God's doing in your life. You just be faithful to Christ, and maybe God will bring someone in your life, and maybe he won't. And I don't know the will of God for you. I don't know. So then how do you live a single life? How do you live the single life? This is how you live the single life. You live the single life completely devoted to Christ. Paul says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. I want you to live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Single people tend to pour themselves into relationships because they have not settled down yet. So they pull themselves in this relationship and that relationship and all these different relationships. They have friends everywhere. Or they pour themselves all into their career. Paul is saying this. I want you to pour yourself in undivided devotion to God. You can do things as single people that married people cannot do. You can take risks. You can go places that married people cannot go. You can do things and be involved in things that married people cannot. The only way I can really illustrate this is that my wife and I actually, we've been trying to have kids for years. Years. Nine, ten years. We we haven't been able to have kids. And there's moments where I, I, I get so I, I get filled with anxiety, just like single people do. I get filled with blame, I blame shift, I I I feel guilty, I, all these, I feel less of a human, I feel less of a man. All these things. And I look to this and I say, I, I can't I can't say um, we haven't had kids because I'm not fully human yet because I need to be satisfied and God alone yet. I do the same thing with me, but then I do this. There are things that I can do. Being married to my wife, not having kids, is that I could not do if we did have kids. I can be devoted to Christ in a different way without kids right now until God gives me kids. My wife and I can be devoted to Christ in a different way right now than if we had kids. And our move to San Francisco was part of that. There are things that we did in San Francisco and could do in San Francisco and the freedom that we had in San Francisco that we would not have if we had kids. And so my wife and I have to go, how do we live an undivided devotion to the Lord without having kids yet until God gives us kids? Single people, there are ways that you can be undivided to the Lord in a way that's different than people that are married and different than people that are married with kids. You need to tap into that and go, now that I'm single, until God gives me a spouse, I want to live an undivided devotion to Christ and Christ's mission right now. And finally, I want to say this. You, you guys must date differently. And some people call it something different. Court, date, whatever you call it, it's all the same thing. You know it is. The dating scene in the church is virtually the same outside the church at least the way you attract someone in. Inside the church and outside the church, it's, all about, it's pretty much all about looks. It's all about financial and social status. We are looking for someone already beautiful in the most superficial way. We're looking for someone already complete in the most superficial way. But what if we were to fall in love with someone because of the glorious thing that God was doing in someone's life? What if we were to fall in love with what Christ was doing in their life? What if we were looking for friendship without the physicality thing? Because there's such an emphasis on that today. I know in my own church I could say this because they're not here and they'll never listen to this sermon. <laughs> but there's like seriously 12, 12, not maybe, I don't know, 15 guys and 15 girls out of a church of close to 1,500 people that all the same people ask out. All the same people. They're like the, the top tier of whatever. And everyone asks them out. They're always flirting with those people. And I hear it all the time. i in my office and the guys sit down like, there's a problem with the women at our church. They only ask out. They're only interested in these, these, these several guys. And the girls sit in my office. They're like, there's something wrong with the men in this church. They only ask out the same eight girls. I'm like, I think there's a problem in our church. Like just with, just the, you guys date the same way the world dates. You can get the same results the world gets. What if we dated differently? What if we fell in love with the beautiful thing that Christ was doing in someone's life? The mission that Christ had called them to, and that their mission and your mission were the same mission. That's what I love when that couple was praying over called Ethiopia. Like, we're called the same thing. That's so, what if, that, what if that's the way? Like, you're called there, I'm called there. God's doing that in your life. How do I, how do I come alongside that? This, I, I, this summer, I had a really difficult summer this summer. It was a, just difficult for me personally. I went through a lot of stuff. And um, <clears throat> God speaks to me in all these different ways. And one of the ways he spoke to me this summer was through a movie, a film I saw. And this film, it was about the love that a priest has for God, being married to God, and a love that a man has for a woman. And it was this story that we- weaved in and out. And I watched it with, my, with Ashley, and it was all about the commitment. What does it mean to be in love and be committed to someone? And in there, this priest was giving a sermon, super artsy-fartsy film or whatever. you probably never watch it. But this priest was giving a sermon, and in the sermon, he said one of the most profound things I've ever heard. I started crying. Like, it was, it was intense. Well, my, my cry is like tear, a tear up. That was, I don't cry I like cry, but <laughs> like a tear that is easily like, oh, wow, there's like, whatever. <laughs> so, but I, I got a tear. And he said, and he had this like accent, so it made it really cool. And I, won't, I can't even do it, so I won't even try. But he said, and it's this whole thing about it, he's teaching Ephesians 5. And he says, the Bible says, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And then he says, to love is not to find your wife beautiful, but to wait, make your wife beautiful. I mean, it hit me so hard in the chest. Like, it really took my breath away. Like, I'm like, how many times I, I like, I want my wife to be already complete and forget that I'm a, I'm a part of that process of Jesus making her complete and vice versa. How many times we look for a spouse like that's already the full package and don't realize that you're going to partner with God in, in bringing that glorious creature out. Christ loved the church and made the church beautiful. That should change the way you see people. Married couple, that should change the way that you see your marriage. I know that it's sometimes so frustrating that one person's at one place, another person at another place in your marriage. You just want them to hurry up and get. That you're a partner with bringing that out. One book called Meaning a Marriage that was written very recently says... The whole purpose of marriage is a friendship to where you see Christ in them and you want to see that come out of them. And then one day you're going to stand before Christ and they're going to be their glory selves and you're going to go, That's what I saw all along. That's what I saw on earth. I saw that and I was trying to help Christ bring that out. This should challenge the way that we date, the way that we see the opposite sex. So here's the challenge. What Jesus' kingdom does for the traditional culture, the traditional culture that says marriage is everything and it starts, it starts that when a Christian culture that says marriage is identity and everything, what the kingdom of God does, it starts by saying that its founder and savior was single and it's an amazing way to live in undivided devotion to the Lord. The kingdom of God just, just destroys the traditional way of seeing marriage. But what the kingdom of God does to the modern view of marriage that views marriage as completely, or that views the life as completely individualistic. It's all about me. Who's compatible with me? Who do I find attractive? What the kingdom of God does is breaks in and says, Jesus created a new surrogate family through the gospel that's even stronger than your your physical earthly family. And you're a part of this family first. You're part of this family first. So if you're single and you feel like you don't have a family, this is your family. And so I want to close with a quote before we go into worship. Quote from the book Holy Longing by Ronald Roheiser. He writes this. He says, nothing in this life will ever fully complete us. We need to give up our messianic expectations and demands. Hence, we must stop expecting that somewhere, sometime, and in some place, we will meet just the right person, the right situation, or the right combination of circumstances so that we can be completely happy. We will stop demanding that our spouses, families, friends, and jobs give us what only God can give us, clear-cut, pure joy. A lot of us are looking at our spouse currently as Messiah and you're crushing them under the weight of your own soul and you need to repent and say the only one that can handle the weight of my soul is Jesus. Some of you in here are looking for the right person, the right circumstance. You're you're watching all these rom-com movies. You're like, I just need the right place. The wind's blowing just right. I see them, love at first sight. I can't wait for that to happen and when that happens, that person will complete me and I'll say one day, you complete me you had me at hello or whatever. (laughs) One day, I'll do that. You need to stop and say, it's only in Christ that I get clear-cut, pure joy. And what happens when we do that is that it frees us. When we meet someone, we're not looking for someone like, oh, can you bear the weight of my soul? (laughs) Like, no, they can't. That's why... You're like, I, I don't know if they're the one. Because they can't, like, they, they're not Messiah. They're not Jesus. <laughs> Same thing with your spouse. You're crushing them under your expectations when only Christ is the only one that can handle those expectations. In Christ only do we find our joy. In Christ only do we find ourself. In Christ only do we find he's the only one that can handle the weight of our soul. He's the only one. And so it frees us from all anxiety. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your t- this time in the Word with this beautiful church, and I pray over every single person here, and in Ventura, as they as they live their lives out as single people, that they would find their identity in Jesus alone, and they would live as if not to gain identity from marriage. I pray they would date differently. I pray they would see the world differently. They see themselves differently. I pray they'd see it all differently because of Christ Jesus. I pray that you disrupt their lives right now. And the thing that they were going for, the career, and then by this time I'll get married, and this time I'll have kids, that you disrupt all that and they would have to rethink it all and go, I want to think it, rethink it all in light of the mission of Christ and the kingdom of, kingdom of God. Do that today. We need you, Lord. We need you so desperately. We love you. We pray that you would come and you would bear the weight of our soul. You would come in as we repent from finding ourselves so dependent on time, people, and places to meet what only you can meet. I pray that you would meet us there. You meet us here on the carpet. You meet us at the prayer team. You meet us in communion. In Jesus' name, amen.